Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and generally finds it in an offshore account somewhere. I am Kevin Day uh, and he is football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. First of all, Kieran, have you seen Brighton's new kit? It's rather snazzy. Uh, yeah, I've, I've just ordered mine. Uh, in, uh, in views, it involves a couple of X's and an L. Uh, but yeah, yeah, very impressed. Yes, yeah, we'll still be referring to you as Tesco's, obviously, because of your carrier bag kit and days gone by. Um, coming up, Kieran, uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this, you know already you're part of the pod, but um, it's, I seem to be directing it towards you. Coming up, Kieran, in case you don't know, we have an interview with Paul Howard, uh, who is Executive Director of the Philadelphia Union Foundation, which is the charitable arm of the MLS team. Uh, and I think it's safe to say it was an eye-opener. Um, but it's Thursday, Kieran, and it's Newsday, and as usual, there is plenty of it. And we start where we so often start recently in the Northeast and with Newcastle United. The Newcastle United Supporters Trust, which has over 14,000 members, have asked the Premier League to explain the delay in approving the Saudi takeover because they're blaming the Premier League for it not happening. And they've pointed out that the Northeast has missed out on potentially hundreds of millions of pounds of, of investment. And would the region really have benefited as much as the club would have done? If we take a look at what's happened at in Manchester, uh, you know, I've lived in Manchester for 40 years. Uh, when, uh, when, when Sheikh Mansour and the, and the Abu Dhabi group came in, they, they did invest uh, in, in the city, in East Manchester. Uh, and that is uh, a particularly disadvantaged area. If you've ever been to the, lakes or the likes of uh, Clayton or Gorton, uh, those areas needed investment and money has been spent. Uh, you know, so it has provided jobs in that part of the city. And, and I think the opportunity to do something similar in Newcastle was one of the benefits or one of the potential benefits of PIF coming in. Uh, they were looking to spend around about £250 million in in projects. Uh, you know, that would have been, you know, wow. part of that would be infrastructure as far as the ground was concerned, but but also to build up the profile of Newcastle uh, and, and to provide local employment. So so that has been lost, uh, and that is one of the issues which uh, NUST are, are taking to task uh, with, with regards to the Premier League. I, I think it's unlikely that they're going to get a response, isn't it? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, I think they've got 70,000 people on the petition to date. Um, I, I believe that various, uh, I think the BBC have commented on the story and they've approached <laughs> Richard Masters and I, I think he's busy doing something else. Uh, it could be a bad hair day or something of that nature. But yeah, it, it's, it's disappointing that the, the Premier League have just kept their mouths shut throughout yeah. all of this. If, if they'd said after you know, one or two weeks of an investigation into the owners and directors test that we really feel these people are inappropriate, here's the reason why. I don't think Newcastle fans would have liked it, but I think they would have accepted it. The, the way that the Premier League appears to have gone, out, gone about things, which is to just do absolutely nothing and, and wait for the Saudi, uh, the, the Saudi investors to get impatient and then give up, mm. um, that doesn't re- reflect particularly well on the Premier League. Um, at a time when uh, you know, the, the game needs more transparency um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a step back. Do you think that was an actual tactic of the Premier League, Kieran, that they just sort of buried their head and hoped it would go away? Um, to a certain extent, they were, they were, they were caught between two, two parties who were battling each other. We know that the Qatari authorities at, at, at B in Sports, I think I pronounced that correctly for once, um, <laughs> were very aggressive in terms of trying to prevent PIF uh, coming into the Premier League. Uh, it could be that there was pressure put on from a, from a legal perspective on the Premier League, therefore to reject it. Um, but the fact that they've said nothing, um, does indicate either they, they had information which they're choosing not to disclose or, or they're simply taking the ostrich approach of, of burying their heads in the sand and, and waiting for somebody else to make the decision for them. Uh, you know, the, the Premier League's a successful organisation. It's one of our most successful uh, exports in the country. Um, so, so why they couldn't make a decision relatively quickly is, uh, is, is, quest- is questionable. Also, I suppose as well, and I know we're talking about the EFL here, which of course is different to the Premier League, but when you look at some of the club owners that have been nodded through in recent years, it would have seemed preposterous for the Premier League to turn around and say that 
you know, essentially Saudi Arabia are not fit and proper people and haven't got the money to take over the Premier League. So maybe that was something else that was in their uh, Premier League club, I beg your pardon. So maybe that was something else that was in their thinking. Potentially, yes. Uh, you know, we, we've seen people come into EFL clubs, as you've correctly said, who, who've bought the clubs for a pound and then not put a penny in themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that appears to be uh, copper bottomed in all of this is, is that PIF are a very wealthy organisation, so they clearly had the resources. So that couldn't have been the reason behind the delays. It must have been something to do with the that aspect of the owners and directors test, which is to do with uh, the, the owners themselves in terms of criminality. Um, and, you know, that, that if, if there is evidence, then for heaven's sake, well, uh, to the Premier League, show us the evidence. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we, we aren't, we're not idiots as football fans. Just, just be honest with us. Well, it does seem particularly disrespectful to Newcastle and the North East, as the Supporters Trust said. But um, interesting that even today, Amanda Staveley and, and Mike Ashley are still offering optimistic glimmers that the deal might not be dead in the water. Do you think it actually definitely is dead in the water? Um, my experience of observing business deals is that, is that you never say never. Um, I think at times uh, Amanda Staveley's probably not helped herself by, by sort of the very public um, embrace with, with Mike Ashley in trying to take over the company. If you contrast that with what happened at Manchester City, nobody would ever heard of, of Abu Dhabi or, or the Etihad Airlines uh, until the deal was done and it sort of went through and, and then a couple of hours later they were sign, signing Rubinho. I think if perhaps if things had taken place behind closed doors, we might have made more progress. But uh, never, never say never in business because remember Amanda Staveley was trying to buy Newcastle two years ago and it fell through and then she's come back yeah. once again. So it, it could be a case of third time lucky. Yeah, I, th- I think to avoid the inevitable uh, tweets, Kieran, I think people had heard of Abu Dhabi. I'd, I'd been there. So we we had heard of Abu Dhabi. We might not have heard of the people behind the deal, but the actual company, the actual country and area we knew about, didn't we? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, mean, I know you're, you know, from, I know you're a, a maths fo- teacher. Yeah. From, from a footballing perspective, it was uh, it never been heard of. Well saved. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Was that your? <laughs> was that you? Was that you pinging on me? Or was that your microwave going? No, off, that was uh, that, that was a, that was a radio station trying to get hold of me. Of course it was. Oh, you don't radio stations. You ignore these days, don't you? Is it the old double double ping for TV and one ping for radio? You just ask uh, radio. Forget it. Um, now, one team that will be travelling to Newcastle next season is, is Fulham. Uh, how much will that championship playoff final win um, mean to them financially? And and on the other side of it, how bad will it be for, for Brentford? Well, in, in terms of Brentford, because they're not in receipt of parachute payments, uh, potentially they, they were set to earn £160 million. Pounds. Uh, and to put that in some form of context, uh, Brentford have been going since 1889. And, and if they had they won the championship playoff, they would have earned more money uh, from that one match than in the whole of their history. Wow! So you know it's 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 absolutely you know, it would have been crazy num- crazy numbers as far as the club was concerned. Uh, you know they are moving into the new stadium, which has got a capacity of seventeen seventeen and a quarter thousand. Uh, it, it would have been sold out every week uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, think of all the London derbies involving Brentford. Yeah, clearly that's going to be the same as far as as Fulham are concerned. Fulham will make around about 120 million uh, because they are in receipt of parachute payments. So uh, instead of making around about 35 in the, from the parachute next year, uh, they'll make 100 million plus from TV money. And uh, in, in you add on to that the the benefits of, yeah, I'm assuming some form of return to to playing matches before a paying audience. Plus, you've got the enhanced uh, front of shirt deals, uh, the, the the shirt manufacturing deals, and, and the ability of the club to sell hospitality packages uh, because they're playing Chelsea, they're playing Arsenal, you know, Spurs, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City. You've got all of those clubs coming to to uh, to Fulham. And if they can uh, have hospitality packages, then they'll be able to sell, sell them at premium prices, which they wouldn't have been able to do to the same extent in the Championship. Yeah, I don't know if their new stand will be ready for the next season or when people are coming back to the game, but there's a lot of hospitality packages in there, so that's clearly going to be a revenue stream. But um, unfortunately, Wigan will be leading, leaving the Championship in uh, a different way. And I think with hindsight, we were probably all naive to think that they might win their appeal. 
because uh, it, it was turned down, of course, but no details as yet from the EFL about why the decision was made. All they've said is it's legally binding. There can be no further appeal. Although they have promised to work with the administrators to help Wigan. Um, I think it's fair to say that allowing the appeal would have been more help to the club, to be perfectly honest. And this is a story we've been following for quite some time. And, and I, I, I did hope it would end in a different way. But Barnsley fans will probably be celebrating. But it's um, it's bad news for Wigan fans who put in a, a tremendous effort in such a short time to try to get this turned around. Yeah, very much so. The, the basis of the Wigan appeal was on what's referred to as force majeure. Mm. Um, these are sort of external circumstances which couldn't have been anticipated. I've, I've got to be honest, uh, yeah, the EFL rules are very, uh, very, very black and white. If you go into administration, unless you can prove this issue of force majeure, mm. um, then you're going to have to accept a 12-point 12 uh, deduction. Uh, the the administrators were trying to link it to COVID nineteen, but the purchase of Wigan took place in June. Uh, yeah, we were already in the middle of the pandemic at that stage, so therefore the the new owner was aware of it. Um, I, th- I think there's still some very uh, significant unanswered questions. Uh, yeah, why did uh, Al Chung, a guy who's never been seen uh, in this country, how come he managed to pass the owners and directors test? <clears throat> yeah. um, who paid the loans of twenty-four million pounds to the previous owners, IEC? Uh, why did why was the club allowed to go into administration? What was the logic behind that? Mm. Given that um, that the, the the club is set to to lose six million pounds in TV money from being relegated, surely it would have made sense, even if you didn't want to run the club for a very long period of time, to to put it immediately up for resale and, and sell it on as a championship club. But what seems to have happened um, is, is the new guys come in. He, he's made a few false promises. Um, you know, it's it's the financial equivalent of saying. I'm not going to come in your mouth. It's something like that. You know, and we know that people lie uh, and and make misrepresentations, but uh, it's uh, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that as a comparison, I have to say, Kieran, um, on a family show. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. It does make no sense. Um, it, it will come as no consolation to uh, disgruntled Wigan fans, but we are trying to answer some of those questions. We have got contacts around the world to journalists and we are trying to get answers to that and um someone's someone's got to unravel this mess because it's clearly something's gone on and and it needs to be it needs to be uncut the rock needs to be lifted the you know the insects need to be revealed underneath this this rock and and we will spare no effort in trying to get to people who are more able to do that than than we are but we will keep digging i promise wigan fans the fa kieran has announced that the prize money for the I'm just wondering if Guy will cut that out now. You know how prudish he is. Uh, Kieran, hello. Still yeah, there? I'm here. I'm here. Oh, good. Sorry. I thought you'd answered that radio call surreptitiously. <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah, I'm better. I wonder if Guy will... No, Guy. We'll, we'll tell Guy not to cut that out. Our, our listeners have grown ups, except for their children. Um, the FA, Kieran, have announced that the prize money for the FA Cup will be halved next season, which I presume means even less incentive for big clubs to take it seriously. That's right. Um, Arsenal won £3.6 million for winning the FA Cup uh, at the weekend. So that's going to drop to to 1.8. But it's not just the prize money for winning games that's going to be reduced. It's it's the prize money going all the way back to the the first preliminary round, which uh, in 2021, that's going to drop to £1,125. Now, for clubs that are relying upon sort of you know a, a bunch of, of local fans to come and watch them on a regular basis, a, an extra grand here or there makes a huge difference. If we, if we go forward to round one of the of the uh, FA uh, if the FA Cup, you're now going to get twenty two thousand six hundred pounds for winning. It was it was forty five thousand. Um, the, the one good thing I think the, the FA have done, and, and I can understand the reasons behind their decision, because they've lost significantly because, they, as we established um, a few days ago, uh, it's going to cost, cost them four or five million pounds in lost revenue from not having an FA final before a paying audience. But the FA VARs, the money for that has been retained. So the winners of that will get 30,000 pounds. The FA Trophy 
the prize money for that has been maintained for winners. Now, if you lose a match, uh, you're going to get less, but there's still an incentive uh, to put the FA Cup uh, winning next season, which is going to be 1.8 million into context. You get 2.4 million pounds from the Premier League yeah. for finishing 13th instead of 14th. So yeah. um, you're, you're absolutely right, Kevin. Uh, you know, clubs are going to perhaps take a bit of a casual approach. You know, the main the main prize of the FA Cup is the fact that it gives you entry into the Europa League, and you know that could be worth a further forty million. Yeah, well, Arsenal were one of the big clubs who did take it seriously, and clearly it meant a lot to them, as you could see by the celebrations. That might also the celebrations may also have been because they realised how much it was going to cost owner Stan Kroenke in bonuses, but every bonus the player gets, unfortunately, has been mitigated by the news today that Arsenal have made 55 staff redundant. Absolutely. Um, the, the, the Arsenal players agreed, and this is was, this was quite unusual for uh, all clubs that we've seen, they'd agreed to a 12.5% pay cut for 12 months. Now, that was going to save in, in the region of about £22 million, I estimated, overall. Um, and that was going to be between April 20 to March 21. Um, the, the average wage of an Arsenal player is £110,000 a month. So £110,000 a week. So, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, it is it is sizable, but they're still going to be very well paid young men. However, the agreement was if they won the FA Cup, instead of taking a twelve and a half percent pay cut, it would have dropped to a seven and a half percent pay cut. Um, so, therefore, that's going to mean that the wage bill has gone up by nine million pounds compared to had Chelsea held on for victory. Um, in terms of the redundancy, Arsenal have announced uh, the loss today of 55 jobs. Um, this presumably will back backroom staff. Now, if you say that they're going to be on an average of, you know, let's say 35 grand a piece per year, um, that's going to cost the club two million pounds, uh, in, in, or rather, it's going to save the club two million pounds. In, in savings, uh, and they've just agreed to pay the players an extra nine million. So yeah. it, it looks as if the club has got a real tin ear here. They're owned by Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke is worth eight billion pounds. So to save two million, and, and I can understand there might be a business case for this, but why? The, why on earth didn't the club just say, "Well, let's just see if we can survive a couple more months. Yeah. Let's see what's <clears throat> happening in terms of matches returning before a paying audience." Um, and if they do, then perhaps those jobs could be saved. And if, the, and if matches aren't taking place before a paying audience, then the, the club could say with some legitimacy, look, it, it's, we, are, we are suffering ourselves and we're going to have to let people go. And I think there would have been a far more sympathetic response than we've seen to date. I think Arsenal fans feel slightly ashamed um, and, other, and fans of other clubs are, are just sort of scratching their heads. You know, Arsenal used to... It used to be the club who did things right, yeah. and this isn't right. There's, there's no suggestion, though, Kieran, is it, that the redundancies are linked to having to find the money to pay the players, is it? Um, no, I mean, it, it could have been a decision that was made a week ago and they didn't want to announce it the week before the FA Cup final. So, uh, it, it, But it just looks absolutely appalling. Yeah, it, it Arsenal's does, yeah. total wage bill is... 220 230 million pounds um and that's to employ everybody at the club uh, they're effectively making around about you know just under probably 10% of full-time staff redundant uh for for a saving of 1% of the wage bill it it, it just looks appalling kevin it it, it does it would be, be appalling for many club to be honest kieran but as you say arsenal have a, a proud tradition and i think their fans take it very seriously of, of being a club that conducts itself well uh, or at the very least, conducts itself in private, and they've and they've done neither of those things either. They've 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 not behaved very well, and they've done it publicly as well. Well, I think to a certain extent that they decided to go public because if they had sent out emails to staff, the chances are that somebody would have leaked this yeah, um, to the press, and people would have found out from from a from an alternative route. So. Um, I don't have an issue with them making the announcement. I think the timing and the, and the nature of the announcement is it is very poor. Um, Arsenal have enough money to to have employed those people for a little bit longer, yeah. and have 
and adopted a wait and see attitude in terms of what's going to happen towards a return to football uh, before you know in, in front of people coming through the turnstiles. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on a more positive note, it's it's a big welcome to the big time for Harrogate Town, uh, but promotion means losing a valuable revenue stream for them, doesn't it? Yes, I mean Harrogate have have come through the uh, the lower leagues, and, it, and it's great. You know, it's a club which has been in existence for a long period of time. Uh, that they've only averaged crowds of thirteen hundred last season. That was pre pandemic. So you know, they're not a big club. You know, it's the equivalent of Morecambe, and, and I know that Morecambe have have done well to survive as long as they have done uh, in the EFL, and they, they deserve some credit. But Harrogate play on a three G pitch, mm. um, and and under <clears throat> EFL rules, which. Yeah, as we know, the EFL likes to apply its rules very strictly. Um, they've been banned from playing that. So they're going to play their first matches of next season at Doncaster, which is about 40 miles away. Um, and, and as anybody that's supported a club that's had to ground share uh, for, for a fair distance away, it, it really does take away the enjoyment um, of matches. Now, you know, appreciate that when matches take place, you know, the first ones are going to be the, the September the 12th. It's not going to be for before a playing audience, but uh, it, it still will be disappointing. I think you know, Harrogate fans would have liked the, the knowledge that their, their team was playing in their yeah, town, and that's now not going to be the case. Yeah, Rochdale chairman Andrew Kilpatrick, this is an interesting one. He's written an open letter to the fans, which is, which is good, and it's pretty candid about the club's finances. Yes. Uh, so, so what he said is the uh, with, with the return on September the twelfth, uh, players and, and coaching staff have been taken out of furlough, and, and he fully understands that. And, he, and he's looking forward. You know, as as the, as a uh, a senior person at Rochdale, just like all the fans, they're looking forward to their team playing. But he's also said that as a result of lockdown, um, Rochdale have lost around about six hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds to date. Wow. That would have been doubled uh, had it had it not had the benefit of the furlough scheme. Yeah. Um, and he's also praised the fans because many of them have said we don't we don't want to take our our refunds for season tickets for twenty nineteen twenty. Um, because we want the club to survive, you know, and that's been great. And you've got to give huge credit, but. In, in a non-furlough environment, it's difficult to see how clubs can survive because they're reliant upon match day income. It, it's worth around about 45 to 50% of their total. They've got increased costs because players will have to be tested on a weekly basis. Um, and that's going to, uh, to increase their cost base with less money coming in. You, you put that into to any mixer um, and, and it's going to result in losses. Uh, it looks as if the capacity, I think it, I think Rochdale's ground is now called the Crown Oil Arena uh, in respect of one of their sponsors. Uh, capacity is going to be linked to 2,170 uh, when, when we, we do return to before a paying audience. And when you've got the likes of Portsmouth, uh, you've got uh, Sunderland, you've got Ipswich, with all which have, who would have normally brought 3,000 at least, or as, or as many as the away fans uh, capacity would, would allow at Rochdale. Um, it's it's really going to hit not just the Dale, but many clubs in similar situations. Well, you've just mentioned them, Kieran. Uh, it's been a while that Sunderland are back on the pod. The Sunderland fans will be pleased to hear that, except they won't because Sunderland are very rarely back on the pod for good reasons. They've filed their accounts, but according to Guy, I quote, they're a bit all over the place. Is a bit all over the place a technical accounting term? Oh, very much so, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the thing is with Sunderland, you look at the accounts and, and it becomes a bit like uh, a Matryoshka doll from uh, from Moscow. Um, whoa, in the whoa, sense whoa, whoa, that- let's not start talking about Russian dolls here, Kieran, please. <laughs> I know you very rarely lose an excuse to do so, but <laughs> carry on. <laughs> um, so, so we've got Sunderland uh, AFC who had a mysterious write-off uh, they they were due to receive twenty million pounds from it. Just said in the accounts another company. So then you have to do a bit of ferreting around, and you go into the accounts of a company called Madrox Partners, who also published their accounts uh, last Friday. And Madrox Partners was a company which was set up for a thousand pounds. And it's made a mysterious twenty million pound profit. Now, you know, Ooh. I'd like to make twenty million quid on a, on a, on a one thousand pound investment. So I suspect that those two are linked. 
And, and Madrox Partners was the vehicle through which Stonald, uh, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven bought Sunderland Football Club. So then you have to go into the accounts of yet another company which published its accounts last Friday. As you can imagine, I was busy all over company house uh, as a result of this, trying to piece it together. And that's the parent company. Um, and uh, SJD Leisure Holdings, which is this parent company, that said, oh, we've had a good year running running Sunderland. We've made an £11 million profit, and they seem very pleased with themselves. But then you go into the small print, and although they made an £11 million profit, that includes £38 million of parachute payments from the Premier League for a club which is playing its games in League One. Mm. And, and then there's reference to... £320,000 paid to another company involved with uh, Methven and Donald for what they refer to as management charges. So they're saying we're not taking a penny in wages uh, out of Sunderland, which is true, but they're getting another company to invoice for their services um, for 320 k uh, So, yeah, it, it, it is it is all over the place. Uh, it, it's it, It's messy. You know, f- football. Football is a simple game. You know, pass the ball, keep the ball. Yeah, that's all you do with it. Uh, you'd think that football finance should be simple as well, but sadly, with 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 clubs and their club owners constantly doing things like this, it, it leaves you feel feeling very uncomfortable. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, if you think football is about passing the ball and keeping the ball, you haven't been to Sellers Park for a while. Um, and I think as well, sometimes it's part of my job, and it's part of my job that I kind of regret having to to do. But we have to point out that there's nothing uh, illegal or fishy about this. I mean, this is clubs, football clubs, businesses move money about between different partners all the time, don't they? So this is not particularly unusual, or and it's certainly not unique. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Kevin. It, it, it is it is perfectly legal for for partner companies to to transfer money. Uh, and to transfer profits from one to another. And, and we do see that on a regular basis. Um, it just makes you wonder, you know, Stuart Donald is trying to sell the club. If he wants it to be easier to sell Sunderland, then then set up the accounts in such a way that somebody who comes in doesn't have to get out a magnifying glass and have three sets of laptops open with three sets of accounts trying to piece, uh, to, to piece things together. Uh, it's it's a lot easier if if you just go and buy the club itself. Well, they, they could bung you a, a monkey to have three laptops open. You'd, you'd happily do that, wouldn't you? Oh, I'm no stranger to multiple laptops, me, Kevin. Yeah. Or monkeys, in fact. Um, <laughs> but a, a club that was on your uh, slightly concerned list uh, a, a while ago is Chesterfield, but their finances are looking in better shape. Yes, yes. Um, over the course of the last uh, two or three days... Uh, we've seen Chesterfield at, at Company's house um, write off about 12 mortgages. Now, I think a lot of this is actually to do with housekeeping at the club, but it does look as if the the charity, which is uh, due to take over Chesterfield, uh, it looks like that deal is going ahead. And, and what they want to do is that when they acquire the club is, is to make sure that there's there's nothing lurking, that there's no gremlins in the accounts. So, so the present owner, who I think we, we've referred to before, uh, Dave Allen, he's sort of going through and saying, well, uh, I did borrow some money from Barclays, but I repaid it a few years ago. Uh, and sometimes I don't know whether you've ever paid off a mortgage, but the bank just keeps the documentation. <laughs> who are you asking that question to? <laughs> oh, that's cheered me up there. Has. You, you, you shocked me earlier with your... Terribly rude image, but that's yeah. No, uh, Kieran, I haven't paid off many mortgages. You're right, except when we sold uh, one house to get an even bigger mortgage on another one, basically. So yes, carry on, Kieran. Sorry, that just amused me for a moment. Right, I'm, I'm so, sure so, Ali, so- Ali will laugh as well when I tell her. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when when you pay off a mortgage, uh, in theory, the bank sent, sends you back the documentation, the charge that it has over your property. In practice, nobody gets round to it because people have got better things to do with their time. But it looks as if Dave Allen has gone through a number of loans that Chelsea, that, that uh, Chesterfield have had over the years, um, and he's got rid of them. It's all tidied up. So uh, this, I think this is a positive step in terms of the charity. And I think it could be the first charity to actually own a football club will be able to to access the, the club's records and everything will be tickety-boo. 
um, and, and good luck to everybody that's going to be running it. You know, it, it is very much a, a community club going forwards, and you know that's one of the things which is close to our hearts. Absolutely. And um, sorry, I said absolutely. So that was a terrible management speak thing to say, wasn't it? After someone's sat down from doing a. a Project on the on the board. Uh, yes, Chesterfield fans have been very keen to point out recently that they will be the first club and so far the only club run by a charity. So, of course, we wish them all the best. And, and as we like to keep an eye on bad news stories, we also like to keep a, 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 an eye on good news stories as well. And this is one of the uh, few rare good news stories we've had recently. Yeah. Kieran, as you know, a few days ago, we were contacted by Paul Howard. Now, Paul is the executive director of the Foundation of Philadelphia Union. And as I'm a trustee of Palace for Life, the Palace Foundation, I was keen to chat and compare notes. So we had a, a, a chat just this afternoon while you were off doing Radio Chesterfield, probably, I don't know. Uh, and this is what he had to say. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Paul, one of the reasons I was keen to talk to you is so I could read this sentence out loud. It's the opening line from a statement of the Foundation Board of Directors that was made recently. Uh, and I'm quoting now, the Philadelphia Union Foundation has and will always be an agent of change for the underserved and underprivileged. Now, that pretty much sums up the romantic notion that Kieran and I have about the role of football in the community. So tell us a little bit about what took you to Philadelphia in the first place, how you got involved with the foundation and why that statement had to be made. So a nice, easy question to start. <laughs> well, what is the only reason for a chap to give up everything he's ever known, move three and a half thousand miles away to start a new life in a different country? A woman. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. No, truth is I'm a huge fan of cheesesteaks, hoagies, water ice, soft pretzels, <laughs> Rocky Balboa and the Mummers Parade. And if you've never seen the Mummers Parade, it is a, you have to see it to believe it. Uh, I, I wonder uh, whether you guys have seen uh, back home uh, a film on Amazon called The Sons of Ben. If you've not, uh, rent it. It's a, it's a story of a, a passionate band of Philadelphia football fans who wanted to bring Major League Soccer to their city. Uh, believe it or not, so the, the club had fans before there was a team. Oh, wow. In the very truest sense of the, the words, the Philadelphia Union is a club born and raised, as they say over here, by, by community. And uh, to ape a famous American declaration, the club, I think almost unique in US sport, can be said to be by the community, of the community and for the community. And that's what brought me to Philadelphia, apart from the love of a good woman. Wow. Uh, and also there's the fact that I'm from Manchester originally and, and Philly, it kind of reminds me of, of home. It's a, an internationally minded local city. It's post-industrial yet retains its blue collar values. It's got great food, music, art scenes and people who love, live and breathe their local sports team. It's a great place to be. Uh, how I got involved uh, well, uh, my, my background, like Kieran, is in education. Uh, and I, I have always derived a, a great deal of satisfaction and, and pride from helping my students grow, mature, learn and, and fulfill their, their, their personal and, and economic potential. And, and sport, like you and, and football specifically, I'm not the only one here, has taught me a great deal in life. Uh, I, I grew up in a little town called Pendlebury in Greater Manchester and uh, uh, I do know where Greater Manchester is. Uh, I grew up in a family of Man City fans. Uh, let me tell you that watching City in the 80s and 90s was a great lesson in life. Uh, not always easy, but great times. I kind of miss those days when we would cheer when we got a corner, when we didn't <laughs> win every single game. You know, the easy, the easy life. And uh, I, I was uh, working in Manhattan 
at the time when this opportunity arose to combine moving to Philly, which is where my wife's from, uh, to work in football and do great things in the communities that we love to serve. And I jumped at the chance and that was 15 months ago. And it's been a, a whirlwind ever since. Uh, why that statement was necessary? Honestly, there's a, there's a sincere belief at the Philadelphia Union that we are more than a franchise. I hate that word. I mean, maybe, maybe it's because, you know, we grew up in England, but, but that kind of, uh, that word franchise, and I, I actually never refer to us as a franchise. We are a club, capital C, uh, and, and we're a club in the, in the European sense of the word, in that we, we root ourselves in the communities that we look to serve. We're, we're born from the fans. Uh, our stadium is in Chester, which is a town uh, south of Philadelphia that needs an economic shot in the arm. Uh, that's a, a euphemism if there ever was one. Uh, and we work diligently with the local authorities and stakeholders to to make that a realisation. You know, our, our fans are at the heart of everything we do, we do. They even help to design our kit. How about that for including the, the, the fans at the heart of the club? Could, having said, you know, I, I, I am envious of the kits that Crystal Palace have always had. They've always had the best kits, haven't they? Oh, uh, seriously, Paul, if if I could design a, a club kit, I'd be the happiest man in the world. I, I met the bloke <laughs> who designed Newport's kit recently, and I was in awe of the fact that this guy is, uh, Yeah, we do have good kits. We, we'll get back to Claret and Blue one day. There's a couple of things out of that passionate statement, Paul, that really made my ears break. First of all, it's amazing, even now, with all the success Man City have, how many Man City fans you talk to will still tell you that their favourite game was that playoff final at Wembley against Gillingham when they were two goals down in the last minute and they came back oh to goodness. win it. The, the greatest honour in my life was meeting Paul Dickoff when I was up in, in <laughs> New York City and, I, and I, I dropped to my knees and thanked him for scoring the most important goal yeah. in the modern history of Manchester City, without a doubt. I loved those days. And that Kappa kit, since we're talking about kits, that was a kit. Yeah, and also Wembley must have been a much bigger stadium than I thought because there seems to be about two million Man City fans there that day. For, um, the... the I wasn't going to ask you about this, Paul, but you you have raised it the the, the franchise word. Yeah. When it when it comes to um, American soccer culture, it kind of gets dismissed a little bit here as sort of you know ultra light, if you like, as a, and a sort of pale imitation of, of European football. And that word franchise is the word that's used, isn't it, by by British and European football fans to sort of dismiss MLS, and that that really underplays the the importance of the game and the growing love of the game amongst uh, young Americans, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, it, it's used uh, as a derogatory term uh, back home. And, uh, you know, it, it, it belittles really what, what's going on over here with the, the growth of the growth of football. I have to say, it, the, the second word that I hate coming out of my mouth is the word soccer. And a part of, yeah. me, part of me dies every time I'm, I'm forced to say it over here. But, let me give you a quick example how, how we, we're more than a franchise. We, we are a club in, in, the, in the very English sense of the word. There's, there's a real focus here on homegrown talent. And I think we've got something which is unique in US sport and almost would be unique in, in English football as well, in that we educate our own academy prospects wow. on school. So, so they, they can spend more time on the ball. Right, it's that old adage that you've got to have ten thousand hours of practice time if you want to become the best uh, uh, violinist in the concerto. So the the education is built around their time on on the football pitch, and I would encourage everybody to check out the YSC Academy in the school, which is almost entirely funded by uh, the Graham family. They're part owners of the club, uh, and and you know there, there's three pathways. Uh, for for our boys that, that come through the academy. It's all boys at the minute. Uh, ideally, they're going to join the first team. Uh, if they're not quite there, but we still think that they've got potential, we'll slide them into a, our Union 2 team, which is essentially the, a minor league team. That There is a there is a, a, a league beneath the MLS, uh, but there's no promotion and relegation between the two. Again, that's, that's an anathema to me. I can't quite get my head around that. And, and you know what? The third pathway for, for some of these boys is that if they're not quite good enough to make the grade uh, on the football pitch, then they're going to get to go to a Division One college on either a full or part-time scholarship. Uh, and, and that in and, in and of itself will be a life-changing uh, event for them. So, so yeah, I, I think we can do away with, with the word franchise when it comes to the Philadelphia Union. 
I was I was going to talk about the similarities. I'm a trustee of Palace for Life, which is the Palace Foundation. Um, but already you've put your finger on something that is very different. It, we're, we're, with us, our, our job not is not to bring players through for for the club. But clearly that that is for you. But I, I'm guessing if you talk us through some of the other things the foundation does for the community, they would be very similar to what we do here in South London because there's a similar demographic, I would guess, between Philadelphia and, and South London. So what are some of the other major projects um, that you do with kids on a daily basis, and, and we'll talk a little bit about COVID specifically shortly. So, just yeah. the general the general things that you would do for for young people in your area. So, I wear two hats uh, at the club. The first hat I wear is uh, I head up the the community relations, I the community impact for the club, uh, and I run the, all the community relations component for the MLS for the Philadelphia Union. So, it's a, a fantastic calendar of themes throughout the season that we put our own Philly stamp on. So, for example, uh, we have a Greener Goals campaign whereby we involve ourselves in the community, we clean up, we plant gardens, we prune and plant trees, we, we, we just beautify wow. uh, parks which may be run down for the, so that the communities can start using them again. We will have parades and street football uh, in the city for the Pride Parade. We have a, a cool thing, a programme that we call Soccer for All. Uh, and this year... Uh, Pre-COVID, we were planning to work with the U.S. amputee soccer guys. So we were we were planning to have those guys down. They would have played a, 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 an exhibition game on our practice fields, which are right next to the stadium, for our fans to watch uh, before the before the Philadelphia Union game. Uh, and then they would have been our honorees at the game. And that 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 whole kind of aspect of of of, of show showing that soccer is for all in the US is a really important part of what I do. We also work with uh, cancer charities. We have an initiative called Kick Childhood Cancer. Last year, we worked with a local, a couple of local charities where uh, children and, and, and their families helped to uh, design some football boots, wow. uh, uh, which were then worn by our players. And we, we even managed to rein in some of the other Philadelphia teams. So we had uh, ice hockey sticks, specially designed uh, players from the, the, the Philadelphia Phillies, the, the baseball team wearing our, our design boots. So just, just really cool things that, that we do to involve ourselves in the community. Another one would be uh, we have a, a military appreciation theme. It's pretty cool. You can imagine it's very American. We've got lots of fireworks. We have flyovers by uh, airplanes and, and such like. But we decided that we would run a football competition on the deck of uh, the battleship USS New Jersey, which, uh, which sits on the Delaware River, just looking over the city of Philadelphia, which we call Battle of the Branches. And that was pretty cool. And then in addition to that, uh, I'm leading on the development of our what we're calling a USERV initiative. So it's a play on words. U is in you and then you as in the first letter of the word union. So, so USERV. It's an initiative whereby... We are going to become a digital hub to connect and incentivize and reward our fans for volunteering in the communities. So, Kevin, you would come on, you would register with us, you would have your own profile. We would then uh, push to you notifications of volunteer opportunities in the community. You would uh, click, accept, yep, I'll go and, I'll go and help uh, clean up that uh, park with my Crystal Palace uh, jersey on. And then uh, we would reward you with some points, which you can then cash in for merchandise or, or experiences uh, uh, on a game. The, the second hat I wear uh, is uh, as executive director of the Philadelphia Union Foundation, which is an independent charity. And this is where I think you and I would dovetail uh, a little bit more. Uh, and we look to, to, to leverage the power of the beautiful game uh, for the good of our communities so let me tell you what that means. It means over the next five years, we are investing five and a half million dollars to build safe spaces to play football in the city of Philadelphia, uh, which we call the hardware. But we're also going to plug in the software, which is all the relevant programming that goes around it. There's no point building these pitches and then uh, and then having them stood empty. We're we're reinventing football in Chester. And I think we might touch on that a yeah. little bit. Where, where you know, we've got a high school here in our own backyard that haven't uh, been able to afford to field a, a team for over thirty years. We're we're evolving this cool thing called the Philadelphia International Unity Cup, uh, and I think London 
London should have one. So it's a World Cup style tournament whereby immigrant communities represent their countries of origin in a tournament that stretches across the summer. So I was lucky enough actually to uh, represent the England team. So that goes straight on my CV these days. <laughs> I played, I played centre half for England, uh, and, and very embarrassingly, we we made it out of the group stage. Uh, and then I was sent off after 20 minutes of the first knockout game for a deliberate handball uh, on the goal line. Yeah, and then and then we, we, in the end we went out in true England style, losing on penalties to to Ecuador. It was a, a great moment, a great moment. And, and we also work with key uh, uh, stakeholders uh, in our communities to improve social justice, right? Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's lots going on here in the U.S. at the minute. And I, I read lots going on at home as well. So uh, to position ourselves front and centre as part of that social justice campaign and that drive for equality in the communities, which, which, which will include a voter registration scheme uh, in the autumn, I should say. I'm not allowed to say fall. Uh, it, it would be uh, that that's where we are positioning ourselves. So uh, in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do and, and, and where we are in the communities. That's brilliant. I have to say, Paul, you sound like a centre-half. I would have, I would have, guessed, <laughs> I would have guessed centre-half, you said. Um, it, a lot of what you said chimed with, with what we do uh, with the Palace for Life Foundation. Uh, that, that phrase you use, that leverage using the power of the football club, we call it the power of the badge. When, um, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm an a white middle-aged man you know a lot of young people from my community are not interested in listening to my voice but what I can do is raise money to send in young men that they would recognize who have got the club badge on their on their their chest and that that it opens so many doors people people as soon as they see the 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 eagle they're interested already and and it gets it gets places that people like me don't get to so I'm really interested to hear that you're your club does the same, and I love what you talk when you talk about beautifying the community as well, because that's something that we think is so important. That if people are brought up surrounded by concrete and and bricks and nothing else, there's no colour in their life, and they're not allowed to get involved in in in, in zhuzhing it up. And it, it, it's no wonder that sometimes people turn on their own area because there's nothing there to lose. If you know what I mean. It's, I, um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, bro- and, the broken window syndrome. Absolutely. And but in terms of funding, you mentioned some of your funding. Do you get direct funding from the MLS as well? Because one of the problems we do have as a foundation is that is raising money it can be difficult, especially at the moment, because people say, well, you're part of a Premier League football club and all Premier League football clubs are rolling in money so we have to explain that we we are part of the club but we're independent um, mm-hmm. but we do get a, a substantial amount of money from the Premier League which is why relegation would be a disaster and is a disaster for a lot of foundations so how much of your funding is direct from the MLS if, if, if any? So in terms of the, the MLS uh, CR programming as that is mandated by the league then then that's funded by the club uh, and, and in this respect, uh, when, I, when I'm wearing that particular hat, I form part, part of a, a larger marketing department and, and report into the chief marketing officer uh, of the club. And we have a very, very small uh, budget as part of a, a much larger marketing department budget. In respect of the foundation, uh, like you've just said, with, uh, with Palace, we are, we are a separate entity, a separate legal entity. And we have to uh, be completely self-funded. Uh, and, th- and this means that in, in addition to project managing the, the so-called platforms, I'm also charged with leading our, our fundraising, which include uh, a, a signature golf tournament where we have a, a cool hole called a snake pit. And if you've ever uh, watched the film Happy Gilmore, then you'll get a, a real sense of what that hole is like as we uh, essentially get drunk, bang drums, uh, shout obscenities at rich people as they as they try and play golf. It's 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 fantastic. Yeah, can I just interrupt? Say your foundation sounds much cooler than mine. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't done any getting drunk, banging drums at rich people. I'm gonna. We've got a meeting next week. I'm gonna put that on the agenda. Getting drunk and banging drums at rich people. <laughs> it, it's it's what more what more what more do you need? What what better way to to, to raise money? Yeah, we, we have a a legends of soccer gala. So instead of just running a, the, the the usual. Uh, gala, uh, tables of 10, etc., which can be, you must have been to lots of them yeah. uh, in your lifetime, and they can get rather dull. Uh, we decided to put a, a little bit of a spin on that and have a Legends of Soccer Gala where we, we, we would have real legends of the game. It would come on, it, 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 was, it would be more of a town hall fireside chat 
legends mixing with the people. Uh, and they would, they, you know, the, the attendees would get a very real, real sense that they have spent the evening in the company of a true legend of the game. Uh, we sell merchandise. Yes, I am in the clothing business these days. Uh, as part of our Fight for Philly campaign, we, we would use T-shirts and masks. Uh, we have revenues uh, from a 50-50 raffle, which I'm, I'm, I'm not sure uh, we do a lot of back home. We certainly didn't do it uh, at City. Uh, but those have been decimated in 2020, obviously. With it, yeah. we, we played our first two games uh, away from home. Uh, then COVID hit. Now we're in the bubble down in Florida. We don't anticipate uh, fans being uh, allowed back in the grounds for the remainder of the season. So that's a big hole that you've got to try and fill. You know, and, and, and we desperately do need to fill it because we don't want to uh, let anybody down or, or renege in any of our promises. And we definitely won't do that. So... With that in mind, we, we, we pivoted. Recently, we held a, a virtual event, an evening with the Philadelphia Union Foundation. And, and, and I suppose that was an opportunity for our fans to be at a gala, but the entry price was very low. It was $25 for a household. So people got to hear directly from our owner. They, they, they got to hear from our players in a segment we called In the Locker Room. We had a leadership segment with our head coach, uh, some owners and our captain. Uh, and then we had a special appearance by uh, our, one of our brand new owners, a, a Kev, Kevin Durant. Uh, I'm not sure how well known he is back home, but he's a basketball superstar yeah. uh, over here. And he's just bought a slice of the club. So he made an appearance for us. And, and then we rely on, on, on general donations uh, in, in, a, in a post-vaccine world. We're planning for a benefit concert, a la Bob Geldof. So it would appear that I'm also in the music business these days. <laughs> Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and we're looking to develop uh, a membership scheme for low-level regular giving. I think now that we've, we've 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 proved the concept that our fans will give twenty-five bucks for a T-shirt, maybe they would like to give fifteen bucks every month and uh, and, and really, in a very real sense, yeah, get their hands dirty with with what we're doing in the community. So that's well, how. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I I, I could. Talk to you all night, Paul, to be honest. But um, Kieran, I know, is waiting to come in uh, and record our latest pod. He's, we've managed to drag him away from Sky and BT Sport this afternoon. But I, I do I do want to briefly, if I can, talk to you about uh, two more things, uh, both of which we sort of touched on. on. On last week's pod, we talked about Detroit City's remarkable fundraising campaign. And you've created, as you said, the Fight for Philly campaign as a response to COVID. From, from where we are in England, it's quite difficult for us to get a sense of how the situation is in in different areas over there. We we all we get is Trump, Trump, Trump. So, how is how has COVID affected Philly in, in particular, and how is that appeal going? So, I think every, everyone and, and every business has their their own COVID story. Uh, if you think that all you get is Trump, 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 then uh, I got to tell you that's nothing to what we get over here. Uh, I'll stay away from that, though. Yeah, of course, of course. The, the first few weeks of the of the shutdown was like, it was like 1939 phony war. You know, we, we were kind of preparing for something. We were mothballing projects. We were holding our breath figurative, figuratively and literally at times. And then we realised, wait, that, that there's no football. There's no prospects of any football anytime soon. Our communities need our help. And so we uh, ideated our Fight for Philly campaign, which began as a, a five-week programme of providing face shields and N95 masks and lunches for hospital workers and, and hand sanitizer blitzes where we got thousands and thousands of much-needed PPE into the hands of people who were on the front line and, and, and putting themselves at risk to keep us safe. Uh, you know, and this evolved into a fight for small business campaign where we were able to connect some dots in Chester between uh, struggling mom and pop food businesses uh, and the food insecure in the town. And across three weeks, we spent over $50,000 in these local businesses to, to feed people who desperately needed help. And, and all of this has to be paid for somehow. And we pitched our plans to uh, partners and sponsors of the club who, who kicked in some money. Our majority owner dipped into his own pocket and, and, and we also launched a family Fight for Philly uh, T-shirts and, and masks so that fans could, could engage directly with, with the appeal and, and help us to, to help others. And it's been an, an unqualified, huge success, and, and, and we continue to do what we can. Uh, I, I would say that every country, uh, every country's people think that, that their politicians have handled it the worst yeah. uh, in the world. Uh, that's no different over here. 
we are experiencing the same problems that you guys are experiencing over there. It's a, it's a mess. Yeah. Well, as, as seriously, don't get me started on that because we will be here all night otherwise. But I just we we have just one last thing. We we have talked about this and and the fact that your stadium is actually in Chester, and the fact that you brought soccer back to schools there for the first time in thirty years. But I, I want to just sort of use that to, to ask you because I think it will sum up nicely everything you've talked about. Why was it so important to get soccer back into into schools there for the first time? I, I mean, Chester is is an impoverished impoverished city, right? It's, it's 20, 20 miles south of Philly. The murder rate is is some three hundred percent above the US national average, which you can imagine is uh, significantly higher in and of itself to what we used to back home. Most of the industry is gone. Along with that, the money and investment, and and, and in the wake, the not unfamiliar issues of crime, of gun violence, and drugs. And and you add to that that the education here is locally funded. So you'll see how a local authority with a depleting tax base just simply cannot afford to fund its schools as we would all like them to do. So when the football programme was cut 30 years ago, it just never came back. And the the school district lost the infrastructure, the expertise. And and with each year that passed, it became more and more expensive and and therefore more and more impossible to reverse that original decision. And and you can't have a a school in the backyard of an MLS team that doesn't have a soccer programme. So we determined to fix that. And we... We, uh, I came on board 15 months ago. We, we, we set about building the best amateur playing surface uh, in Chester from, from what was a cabbage patch. We, we provided all the infrastructure. We've kitted out the players. You've got to remember some of these kids, uh, they couldn't even come to training because they didn't own a pair of, uh, let alone a pair of football boots, but, but even a pair of trainers that, that, that were appropriate for, for, for playing in. That's, that's the level that we had to start at. Uh, we brought in some professional coaching provided transportations to games and training uh, because uh, Chester is such a dangerous place at some times that the kids really can't, we, we really can't just let them walk to training. Wow. So we transport them there and we pick up the cost of that. Of course we do. And all the game day operations and, you know, the first game, uh, two weeks before they played the first game, I was down at training and I went down to training every day. And I said to the coach, what, what are we working on today, coach? He went corner kicks. I went, oh, cool. Are we running a few drills? He went, no, no, no. The concept, <laughs> the corner kit, and I thought, no. oh my god, our first games, our first games in two weeks. What are we going, what are we going to do here? <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, the first the first home game in thirty years happened. It was great. The kids loved it. The smiling faces. The local news was down. They were celebrities for the day, and we were lost seven one. But who cares? Uh, but but really, in answer to your question, the football is it, it, is only going to be a hook. What's next, right? And, and, and I think this is this is what you you guys do at Palace so well. You use football as the hook. Yeah. Now we've got the kids and we um, and we built up some trust with them. Again, another important thing. I don't look like them. I don't sound like them. So so the barriers are up. We have to we have to break down those barriers, build up the trust. Now we're there. We can start supporting the school in raising attendance, progression, attainment. We're, we're, we're setting up a mentoring program. Uh, we'll have top-up classes by having teachers from our own Philadelphia Union School come in and help these kids prepare for their college application. And also, on top of that, we're looking at a, a paid work experience program. So these kids don't have to make a decision between going to work in a local shop to help put uh, food on the table for their family versus getting some quality work experience in the professional world that will help them in the long run. And 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 that's where we are. It's a really exciting time to be here in Philly and be part of what the Philadelphia Union is doing. And, and hopefully, I'll finish by saying that hopefully uh, over these last 30 minutes or so, we've, we've helped dispel the myth that uh, uh, US uh, franchises have no soul. You, you, uh, Paul, Kieran and I are often accused of being too romantic. You know, <laughs> no, not, not with each other, I hasten to add. <laughs> <laughs> But although there are, but just but too romantic with our, with our notion of what football should be doing in the community. But you have just underlined everything I think about exactly what football should be doing in the community, and, and it's clear that you have issues there that are way beyond our issues. That we, I mean, I'm I'm just heartbroken when you say it's too dangerous for some of the kids to even to even walk there. But I I can't thank you enough for coming on, and I have always recommended to Palace for Life that we we reach out and and talk to each other because there are things that you, we could learn from you and I'm sure there are things that you could learn from us but um, again thank you for, for so much and as you say I think so many people listening to this will have hopefully a newfound respect for what 
MLS clubs do in their community. So I really do thank you for that, Paul. And uh, hopefully we will talk again soon. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Kevin, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Kieran, I'm, I'm sorry you didn't get to meet Paul because you would have liked him. And I, I have to say, I, I, I implied that it was other people that had dismissed the MLS as simply a franchise and, and European football light. And I'm slightly ashamed of that now because clearly the American football clubs do as much in their community as we try to do here with our, with our clubs. And some of the things he said were eye-opening. The, the, I mean, we've got problems in South London, but my God, they've clearly got... Multiply that by ten in in Philadelphia and Chester, where they're they're based. Although I think you will have liked his fundraising idea of getting drunk and waving golf clubs and shouting obscenities at rich people. That that, that sounds like a plan. Uh, I, th- I think I, c- I can. Uh, I know a few golf clubs in uh, in Cheshire where I used to live, where I think that would be very appropriate. Of course, you'd have to do it sober, though, which I imagine wouldn't be as much fun. Oh no, I, I'm, I'm I get quite sweary. I, I, yeah, I know, I, you, I know, you, I know you get quite potty mouth, Kurt, but we've already had that proven on the pod this very evening. I'm still slightly speech. I'm still slightly wide-eyed emoji at that. Uh, at that. Now, listen. This is the, the stage of the pod where I say to you that uh, our next pod is um, the questions pod. And, and if you have a question for us on any aspect of football finance, then send it to questions at priceoffootball.com. But um, I'm slightly baffled by the fact that we. We have this note from Guy. The guys said we have even more incentive for you to do that this week. Now, um, I'm, I'm slightly baffled by this, Kim, because we, as you know, we've, we've got a massive backlog of questions already. We do. Uh, <laughs> really proper, huge backlog of questions. Good questions as well. Um, but Guy, Guy said, and initially he said that I had to choose a favourite question. If, and if you send a question in in a very specific time frame, he said, between now, whenever now is, I mean, you might not be listening till Saturday night, but you'd have missed the opportunity between now and midnight on Friday. Uh, I have to choose a favourite question. Now, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go all Sophie's choice on the questions. The questions are, are all good questions. So Guy can choose a favourite question. But if you send a question in, and again, this is really unfair on the people that have sent a question in before the competition started and they were on that backlog who were going, hang on a second, you promised me you'd read this question out in a week's time. And now people are getting offered incentive. But the incentive, Kieran, I mean, what an incentive it is, is a, a pack of your custom made Price of Football Top Trumps cards. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember what on earth possessed me to, uh, to to go down this particular project avenue, but I did. Um, so yeah, I, I bought thirty packs of uh, Price of Football top trump cards because I thought it was a good idea at the time. I, I, do, I do quite, you know, I give quite a few talks here and there, and I tend to give them out at prizes. But clearly, I'm not going anywhere at present. So yeah, I've got a box of uh, top trump cards uh, by my side. I've, I have sent out some to. To, to some of our fans already who said oh, I'd, I'd love to see them um so uh yeah so perhaps we do it on a weekly basis and we'll, we'll let guy choose the uh the, the best uh the best question of the week or the best answer to the best question of the week who, who knows um but uh yeah we, we, we do appreciate everything the uh the listeners contribute uh and, and we do have a listener listener group now from from all over the planet as we know we've been getting questions from brazil from lithuania from russia from well, that was that was no, that was that wasn't questions to do with the pod. That was more a legal inquiry. That one, as we know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we're probably be getting some from FIFA, I suspect, soon as well. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Well, we, do, we should do FIFA top trumps. I mean, I, I know it's a motif on this show as how far my eyebrows can can raise. Uh, I can promise you that nowhere near as far as Ali's eyebrows when I happened to mention to her that you had your own top trump set. That was that was that was met with that was met with baffled amusement <laughs> from Ali. Um, now, Kieran, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but we uh, guy and I want to dedicate this edition of the pod to your uncle Tony because you told us he was ill in the last pod, but we've had very sad news since, haven't we? Um, yeah, yeah. Sadly, uh, Uncle Tony, who'd had COVID, he, he was he'd, he'd been released, uh, but he had a stroke and. Uh, yeah, he went back into hospital. Uh, the family weren't able to see him until the the last couple of hours when they were called in, and uh, you know a priest came in and gave him the last rites. So, yeah, well, thank thanks very much. Uh, I owe him an awful lot because uh, my old man wasn't a football fan. My old man taught me about fishing and playing poker. But Uncle Tony was the was my uncle who gave me my love of football, and I've owed him an absolute. You know, I, I owe him everything in in that regard. It, it was also a great guy. 
he was very patient with me. He was a huge West Ham fan. He took me to my first match with with all of his mates, who, who and they were great as well, given that they were, I think it's fair to say, tearaways. Uh, but they looked after me. And just that, that wide-eyed feeling you have, where I think I was nine, eight or nine years old, went to West Ham, come out the tube station, the smell of the, smell of the burgers, the noise and everything. Uh, he, he gave me my love of the game. I owe him an awful lot. I love him to bits. And, uh, you know, God bless you, Uncle Tony. Well, uh, to all our listeners, if you're that way inclined, say a prayer for Uncle Tony. And if you're not, raise a glass for Uncle Tony. And we will see you again on Monday. Take care now. Good luck, Kieran. Bye-bye. Stay safe, boys and girls. The price of football. Some football.